Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Our guest today is Mike Stoddard, a CPA, PFS, and CFP. Mike's joining us today to share his expertise in the crypto space. Mike, thanks for being here today. Hey, Sal. Great to be here. Thanks a lot. Of course. So, Mike, you have a pretty storied history in, in taxes, investment, and cryptocurrency. Um, can you elaborate on your experience in those spaces? Well, you know, it all starts clear back in the mid to late 1970s. So that's a fair disclosure right away <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I, I'm an old part. While I was uh, attending uh, uh, university, I had a gold and silver and Swiss franc um, business selling gold and silver and Swiss franc life insurance and annuities back in the 70s. Hmm. And this was leading into, of course, the great initial bull market in gold that ended 80, 81. So that's where I started. Uh, I was in the brokerage industry from 1979, um, kind of a hiatus in my education due to some family, uh, huge medical challenges. I had to drop out of school. Uh, I was worked for Merrill Lynch, was in uh, a large part of my practice, was uh, gold stocks, gold mining stocks, the cappers, et cetera, and watched that whole thing, was there for Silver Thursday when the Hunt Brothers went broke, um, then resumed my education and finished my accounting degrees in 1984. Uh, have been a practicing CPA since uh, 1985 and uh, am a uh, certified financial planner. And uh, let's see, uh, started looking at the potential for future cryptocurrencies in the 1990s. I think that right there will have some people impressed right because i mean most people when they talk about getting into cryptocurrency they kind of say yeah i mean an early adopter is like 2013 you know 2014 2015 <laughs> who are, are talking about the 90s was looking at it and uh, i did not get into bitcoin when it was under a dollar uh i was professionally very maxed out at the time 70 80 hours a week became aware of bitcoin watched it from the sidelines um go to $30, its first real run. Then it dropped, collapsed back to $2. And I made my first purchase at under $5 with Mt. Gox. And that, of course, ended well, right? <laughs> that ended horribly. <laughs> it, it was all so new, and I was still so busy professionally, maxed out. I And I was I was so irritated because I put my bid in at $4.75 for Bitcoin and it cleared at $4.83 and I just I was just <laughs> I was irate but <laughs> you know nowadays that just seems a dream that you could right. actually have bought Bitcoin at $4.83 but I made the massive mistake of being too busy to move that off Mt. Gox out of their wallet and I learned a real hard lesson in uh, counterparty risk. I lost all of it in the Mt. Gox debacle. Yeah, which a lot of people are familiar with. And, and probably if they're listening, they may have experienced themselves. So I'm sure they can uh, empathize with that unfortunate situation. <laughs> that means they've had lots of emails in the interim from Japanese law firms and so forth right there was, I, a, there was an effort to recover um i know a lot of our customers have talked about you know trying to recover some of their funds from mount gox you never had any success from with recovering any of your funds no i think it's still ongoing i still get emails in fact there was a law firm in from new york city that emailed me maybe two months ago and made a substantial offer to take to buy out my position mm -hmm in that lawsuit and uh That's so it's still ongoing i i i imagine that in the future there'll be some kind of minimal payout i don't expect very much certainly not what the 
those uh, bitcoins that I would be worth to me now and in the future. But right. I think it is still ongoing, that lawsuit and that clearing and the paying out all those liabilities is still an ongoing process. Right. And just to clarify what we were talking about in the 90s, um, back then it was what? Digital cash, right? It was digital cash. And, well, there was digital gold, digital cash. There were several uh, early uh, efforts at it that did not work out very well. Um, you know, it just took a long time before whoever Satoshi Nakamoto is pulled together the the multiple different pieces and put them into one package, all the cryptography, et cetera, et cetera, that, that he cobbled together in the miracle that is Bitcoin. Um, it took, you know, that was a long evolutionary process. And uh, finally, somebody rang the bell and it was, we don't know who. <laughs> right, right. The big mystery although, in cryptocurrency. Although John McAfee keeps claiming that he knows and he'll reveal that maybe someday, <laughs> but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, see. we'll see. We'll see. Exactly. We'll see. So anyway, then back to crypto and your experience with crypto. So I know that you've made a lot of predictions. Me and you kind of have, have talked in the past and you talked about how you've made some predictions in the past. So what about your history makes you kind of uniquely suited to make these predictions regarding cryptocurrency? You know, as you know, even though we've, you know, you provided the intro that I'm a active practicing CPA and certified financial planner. Um, this is educational. Right. Anybody, they have to realize they their circumstances are specific and they need to uh, work with a, a professional. But that being said, the first major recommendation I made was the one I bought on was after the collapse down from $30 after and there was, I can't remember which one of the financial regulators came out and said some terrible things about uh, Bitcoin. And, and I just said, you know, this is a perfect time to be buying it in the four buck range. And I, I've got a chart with some notes on that. Yeah. And if you want, we can put that up on the website when we post the uh, podcast, we can put these, in. you know, and those would just show bona fides that I've been there you know, made those recommendations. The second time, of course, the first bull market, you know, we came in about three waves, the the run up to 30, the collapse, the run up to the couple hundreds and collapse consolidation. And then the, the final run, uh, the fifth wave in Elliott terms up to over a 1, thousand, 1200 or wherever it was up there. Well, after it collapsed down from, you know, into its first real major bear market, then the second chart that I shared with you was where I made a call. And basically, I said uh, it was trading below 250. You know, it had already collapsed. Bitcoin had collapsed down to 100. And I can't remember, spiked down to $172 or something like that. And I, and I listed on that chart that I shared with you three or four or five reasons that I thought the bear market was over. Time to get in for the next bull run. And um, so then, you know, from the 200 range, it ran up to about 20,000. My guesstimate low at that time was 10,000, um, and it, it overran that. And uh, but recently, you know, I, I, I quit sharing that stuff, except for with my with my clients. Um, I don't do that publicly anymore myself. And one of the things I'd like to talk to you about is, of course, I've set up a self-directed 401k, and uh, we jumped in, myself and a couple of partners jumped in and made our first um, IR, or 401k purchase of crypto in December of last year, when Bitcoin was down around, you know, 3000 to 3500 You know, 32 I can't remember, was the low. And we jumped in oh, a week or so after the low, you know, with our first tranche, with our 2018 money. Have since uh, put in our, our 2019 tranche, and and I'm chafing at the bit to put in my 2020. And this is just all you you hold. You don't actually sell. You just you buy it with the 401k funds, and then you just hold. You sit on it. <laughs> well, that's I I think we'll 
talk about that a little later um, when we talk about that as a strategy, to be honest with you, I sold my first tranche at, uh, I don't know, 13.5, 13.6 within okay. an hour, within an hour of the top, you know, because a, a CPA, you know, everybody thinks a CPA is massively busy in the spring, of course, late winter and spring, but there's also a second season, and that's because the extensions, tax extensions for businesses and September 15th. And then the last personal extension is October 15th. So I was slammed late August, September and October. And while I I thought that Bitcoin would go back down after it peaked, you know, its initial wave in, in the 13,000s, the target was down around 7,500. But I could not sit and watch that on a daily basis. So I got back in around between 8,000, 8,500 early, way early. I wished I'd have held out, but so <laughs> I don't want to put I, you on the spot, but it's been almost two years since Bitcoin's, you know, highest price. If you're comfortable, is there any like just kind of off the cuff predictions you have or, or would you rather not really, I know you said you don't really share your kind of predictions well, anymore. Well, I, I generally don't publicly and I used to tweet them and, but I don't anymore, but sure. I'll give you my, my wag my wild ass guess. <laughs> Let's hear it. Yeah. I'd be happy here because it's, it's certainly going to be more educated and accurate than anything I would really ever know. So I would be happy oh, to hear it. <laughs> it. It is such a, a, you know, the evolution is happening so rapidly and it, it's as it explores this space, it really is uh, a wild ass guess. Of course, <laughs> the one, the one advantage I have is, you know, having been in the investment market since 1980 is I've accumulated a certain portfolio of tools, um, technical analysis, fundamental analysis, et cetera, that I've used um, over the years. But uh, let's put it just in a uh, an Elliott wave, if you're familiar at all with the Elliott wave, and I'm sure a good portion of your audience is familiar with the Elliott wave model. There were about five waves up for the first bull market into 1200. And then we had the collapse into down to 172. Then we started the second bull market that went up to 18 to 20,000. And we had, you know, the altcoins went crazy during that one. Mm -hmm. And then we pulled back. So basically, since it's fractal in nature is we've we're in at least with bitcoin not with some of the other altcoins but with bitcoin which is you know it dominates the market at this point i don't know what 70% or so it's someplace between 65 and 70% of the of the market is probably my guess is we're going into the fifth wave on the bigger scale now and and my concern is is being in this is not hodling through. It was very painful hodling through um, this last bear market um, from late 17, early 18 through the December of 2018. That was very painful hodling through that. This time, I, I expect we're in a fifth wave as we go up. At some point in the next couple of years, I'll want to and my clients, my partners and whatnot, we, we look to reallocating out of because since we've completed what's more or less a five wave up from the beginning of Bitcoin is it may be a more protracted bear market. It won't be the end of crypto. Crypto is going to go on for decades and decades, but the first real bear market uh, one that will last more than a year, year and a half, maybe three years, four years to correct the initial five waves up. Hmm. Um, it will be time to reallocate to different asset groups and to lighten up. So that's kind of the big picture of what I'm looking at right now is is monitoring very close over the next couple of years as the cryptos go up into this this phase this fifth wave on a bigger scale you know correct and, and what will follow that will possibly correct from 
from the very beginning to the 2021 say top or wherever 2021 2022 late 2020 i'm not sure how long this cycle will last i more than likely 2021 maybe into early 2022 but at that point i don't want to sit through a five you know three to five year bear market so i'll probably allocate out of crypto to to other areas when you're talking about diversifying and allocating out, you're not talking about allocating just out of Bitcoin. You're talking about allocating out of cryptocurrency in general. So not. Yes, okay. absolutely. I initially had taken that as kind of, you know, invest in other altcoins as opposed to completely getting out of crypto until. The no, I won't be completely out of crypto. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course. <laughs> but I, I will take as I, I plan to take a substantial amount off the table and uh, reallocating and uh, of course i am not 100 percent in crypto i am in stock market right. i have gold and silver holdings i've been I, i've watched gold and silver i've done studies in gold and silver going clear back to uh the egyptian dynasties that's quite a history and a quite a, a lesson in gold and silver looking back that far it is interesting when you follow it through history, and that's back when they used when gold and silver ratio was about ten to one. And then, uh, so anyway, I could go all the way through the gold and silver history, but I don't think people are that interested in gold and silver right now. In terms of cryptocurrency trading, I mean, it has a lot of similarities to the other assets that you trade. So, talking about gold, talking about stocks, these things are very relevant to cryptocurrency trading in general. And somebody with knowledge in trading these other assets certainly comes in handy when you're talking about trading cryptocurrency, in my opinion, at least. Well, and of course, you know, nothing new here, but uh, the, the real story over the next several decades will be the tokenization of almost everything on the planet. And that tokenization process, one of the things that will be tokenized and has already been tokenized um, is gold. And I think there'll be better products that will, that uh, the tokenization of gold uh, will be one of those things that if I reallocate, I, I may allocate out of crypto into a portion into tokenized uh, precious metals. And uh, so to me, that's not, that is an allocation out of crypto as far as the currency or the smart contracts and basically into another asset group that just happens to be tokenized. Eventually, I believe um, all your stocks, bonds, everything will be tokenized. I, I believe real estate will be totally tokenized. Um, and Do you think so, that's a result of crypto? Absolutely. You know, those things are going to be on top of smart contracts, tokenized uh, contracts on top of Ethereum, or some of the, you know, there are several competitors out there, nothing with the, the development space that Ethereum has now, but uh, we'll see where that goes. Interesting. Well, that could be a whole other conversation talking about the tokenization. I have not heard too much about stocks becoming tokenized or real estate becoming tokenized. I haven't personally looked too much into that, but it's definitely, uh, you know, with the advent of cryptocurrency and how popular it is amongst people in the cryptocurrency space, and how much benefit there is to utilizing blockchain technology, I could totally see that being something that happens. In fact, I think that's probably the biggest story out there. Really? I think the entire planet's inf uh, financial infrastructure will move to the blockchain over the next several decades. We well, are way early. Certainly good, yeah. I mean, that's, it's great for people then that are in the blockchain industry. I mean, that's great news, and I'm sure... Everybody in this industry, I guess, would be pretty happy if that comes to uh, fruition. And you're probably right. There is a lot of benefit to blockchain technology. I had uh, somebody on recently, Connie Gillespie from uh, BitGive, and we talked about how um, donating to charity is the perfect use case for blockchain technology. And so I'm sure there's all sorts of other industries that would be a good use case for blockchain technology as well. Oh, the estate planning potential. I've, I've already done personally um, substantial estate planning because give you an example how I use it. I haven't seen anybody else use it. I'm sure there are people out there that do this, but I have, you know, I have Genesis block of, of some cryptocurrencies that uh, 
Um, this last year, you know, I've got several kids, uh, a lot of grandkids, and uh, I went ahead and moved a specific amount of crypto to each one of my kids and grandkids on uh, Ledger Nanos. And uh, I've documented, you know, of course, you can do 15000 a year right now as an individual. And so, and the documentation is, is perfect for the gifting as far as estate tax planning. The do- I've got the exact day, the dollar amount. Yeah. I've got, you know, the, you know, it's on a ledger, a separate ledger nano. And it's, you know, I'm already doing my estate planning. That's smart. Yeah, that's a good point. And that is a good use case for it. And it's got a perfect audit trail, which you know, because that's what you do. That's your specialization is there's, there's a great uh, audit trail in because cryptocurrencies, unfortunately, you know, one of the dreams that we had was they, this would all be anonymous instead of, you know, most of the major cryptos, Bitcoin included are only pseudo anonymous. Right. Yes. And we talked about that last episode as well. We talked about how Bitcoin is pseudo anonymous and how it's even to this day. I mean, it still has kind of that connotation of being anonymous, but in reality, most people are realizing and understanding that it is a pseudo anonymous technology. Do you want another wild ass guess? Sure. I'd love one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The unicorn right now in the crypto space and the unicorn has been for a couple of years now. And this is something that I've debated with my son who graduated as, as I discussed earlier, summa cum laude in computer engineering. So he, you know, he understands, you know, we can have, plus he's got a real strong economics background. Mm-hmm. Um, we can discuss this, but the unicorn is the stable coin. Okay. You know, everybody thinks Bitcoin is going to be the currency of the future to replace fiat currencies, mm-hmm. and which is a whole nother discussion. But a stable coin, uh, I don't think it's Bitcoin. In fact, my background in economics tells me absolutely that it's almost impossible to create a stable coin. Now, there, there are some pseudo stable coins out there that are piggybacking on relatively stable fiat currencies. But the, the one thing I understand, are the, and most people don't understand, for example, gold, is they don't understand the broad concept of stock to flow. And my, my opinion is, is, for example, Bitcoin, while it's, a, it's an absolute fantastic store of value, is because it is limited in, you know, 21 million will be eventually mined and it's capped at that, is over time, if it were used that way, it is, it is massively deflationary. You cannot use a massively deflationary uh, monetary unit and do a 30-year contract with somebody, a 20-year contract. It's, it doesn't facilitate that. So the, and that's one of the reasons people are, are going to stable coins. Well, my contention is, is you can't mimic, there is no algorithm out there that can really mimic what the market itself does. And so at the end of the day, and I don't know, we're talking 50 years, 100 years, as this all plays out, and as fiat currencies blow out, which I believe they eventually will, I think, people's time frames have been too short on that but uh looking at several thousand years of monetary history um it's pretty obvious where the where the end of fiat currencies are going to go but my contention is that the real stable coin of 100 years or 50 years out uh at some point will be a tokenized uh gold coin because okay. gold Gold, basically, most of the gold that has ever been mined on the face of the planet is still in existence. And there is a, uh, there's about 80 to 100 years stock of gold of, of mining years. And that's what gives it stability. And it, there's a market feedback on demand, supply and demand for that, that at certain times gold mining crashes and then, and then as, you know, you, we eat up the supply and 
price pressures increase, we have a new cycle of, of mining, et cetera. Well, that's been going on for uh, hundreds of years, thousands of years, and that that built-in market supply and demand, the stock to flow, the 80 years of supply out there of mine supply, which changes you know, what that 80 years is as mining technology changes and supply and demand, that it really will probably be the winner out there 50 to 100 years. Um, that doesn't displace the smart contract cryptos such as Ethereum, Tezos, or some of the other ones out there. I'm sure your your listeners are far more familiar with some of the competitors that are coming up to Ethereum. But as far as a unit of account, a monetary unit, I still think that will be there. Bitcoin will probably be out there. I don't know 50 to 100 years, but at least decades out there as a uh, what in Austrian terms, Austrian economics, and that's, you know, to show my baggage, I'm a big believer in Austrian economics. Ludwig von Mises is the premier uh, expositor economist of the 20th century. I think he was the most brilliant economist of the 20th century, not John Maynard Keynes. But he would call Bitcoin a secondary media of exchange. And it's a whole discussion of why that is. But anyway, that's my wild ass guess. I think at the end of the day, even though I love crypto and I I think it has tremendous potential into the future, I believe that uh, at the end of the day, at the end of the long market process, a tokenized gold will be the monetary unit of the world. So summary, like you said, tokenized gold and also stable coins. Right. I think it, it will be the stable coin. You think tokenized gold will be the stable coin. So basically, again, replacing just fiat currency. Yep. And I, because right now the stable coins, all they are, are just pegged to a, a relatively stable fiat. Currency. Right. And they, they fluctuate in price still. I mean, they're called a stable coin because they're supposed to stay at a dollar, but they still fluctuate in price, you know, typically between 97 cents and a dollar and three cents U.S. dollars. Uh, Absolutely. So fluctuates still, of course. Now, this kind of is a good segue into my, my next topic and question for you. And that's about the difference between an investor and a trader. So the reason I say that it's a segue is because when I think of stable coins and when I think of Bitcoin, for example, not a stable coin, that's a, that's a good coin to kind of invest and trade with because it fluctuates in price and you could potentially make profit off of that fluctuation. With a stable coin, it's not likely that you're going to, unless I'm understanding it incorrectly and you can let me know if I am, but with a stable coin, you're not really going to make a profit on investing in stable coins because they're always going to stay the same price. You're not going to have a capital gain ideally in a true stable coin. So in my opinion, that doesn't make it very worthy of investing in. You could trade with it, but investing in it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there's no potential for profit. Am I wrong in that? No, I think absolutely. You're spot on. Okay. But- <laughs> The, the discussion of investor versus trader is is not inve- an investing question. It is a tax question. So we have to move over to the tax law. Actually, the IRS, for U.S. citizens, the IRS treats you or you're treated by the IRS as either for tax purposes and investor. So these are tax uh, definitions. Mm-hmm. IRS code definitions, not investing definitions. I was trying to use that terminology to move into taxation. But yes, I, I appreciate that clarification. And yes, so let's talk then about what distinguishes somebody from being an, an investor and a trader in the IRS's eyes. Okay. And this is this is incredibly important. And most people are not aware of this. And this this involves all kinds of investing and trading, not just crypto. It's just that crypto investors are not aware, for the most part, that there is this important distinction in the tax code. Now, as an investor, um, you're very limited as to the types of things you can deduct and help reduce your tax bill. Trading as a business, if, if you're deemed a trader as a business by the tax code, you can deduct a whole lot more expenses and reduce your taxes. So the, the, you know, kind of the gold standard, the the thing you really want to achieve 
is to be treated by the tax law and the tax code as a to achieve tax trader status. Okay. And for example, if you're treated as an investor, there are uh, investment interest limitations. If you're treated as a trader, it's unlimited the investment interest you can write off. Uh, capital gain. If you're an investor, uh, painfully, a lot of people out there know that if you if you lost fifty thousand last year, mm-hmm. and you think, "Wow, I can I can offset that against my income," and then your CPA comes back and says. You only get to use three thousand of that as an offset each year, right? And you're going, what? <laughs> I, I just lost fifty thousand dollars, right? My wife is on the edge. I'm not sure if my marriage is going to last. <laughs> you, you yeah. can't just. I, I've got to write off more than three thousand. And, and she was going <laughs> to stay with me if I could write off that entire fifty thousand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the CPA, and you look at it, you say, I'm going to get another CPA. I'm going to get a CPA that can help me write that off. Right, right. <laughs> so the capital loss limitations as an investor, you're limited to $3,000 a year. Whereas if you've achieved tax trader status, you can write whatever your loss was against your other income. So that uh, is great. Um, and there's some other things. So the and the next question is, okay, how do I get out of this terrible treatment uh, as an investor so that I can write off? You know, it's like an investor, you can't even write off if you attend um, a webinar or a seminar that costs you $1,000 and you're, plus your trip to Vegas and you find out you can't write that off or you're stuck with putting that as a... Uh, on your what used to you know the schedule a and itemized deduction and you lose most of it and you don't get to use it whereas if you're a tax trader all of that is an expense a business expense you get to write it all off and that could you know can substantially shelter uh taxation so without going too far into it because it is a complex subject um a fellow that's uh written a list of golden rules of how, you know, who basically has achieved tax trader status mm-hmm. is uh, Robert Green. He's a CPA, nationally known. Um, and I'm just going to tick through his list of golden rules real quick. And okay. again, I, let's give attribution. These are not Mike Stoddard's rules. These are Robert Green's CPA. Okay, ticking through them. Average holding period has to be less than 31 days. You have to execute trades at least four days out of five a week, 75% of the time, maybe. You have to have at least completed 360 round-trip trades a year. That's a lot. That's a big hurdle. What is a round-trip that, trade? That's buy and sell. Buy and sell. Now, you say that's a that's a hurdle, but, I mean, in terms of – a lot of the customers we have on Bitcoin taxes, I see trades. We have customers that have hundreds of thousands of trades. What? So and to me, they, 360 they be, doesn't sound like a high hurdle. They may be using a robot to help right. them trade. And that's, right. that's something we'll discuss too. That's another thing. Is that, that is actually a disqualifier. Okay. So, but basically for me, 360 is, is a big hurdle. Okay. Um, and proceeds, that is your gross proceeds from those has to be in excess of a million dollars a year. Okay. Your account size has to be greater than 25. These are all, you know, you don't have to hit all of these, but the more of these that you hit, the more proof that you have if you're audited and, and they challenge, of course, the IRS wants you to be treated as an investor. Right. Right. You want to get treated as, uh, you know, be given tax trader status. So, well, I agree with you. I mean, the proceeds above a million, I mean, again, we certainly have customers that, that experience that regularly, but in terms of an average trader, you know, I think a couple of these boxes might be not impossible to tick for them. I mean, the 31 day um, trader, you know, trading within 31 days trades, I mean, for hodlers, that's not going to be a a reality, but you know, (laughs) that just wants to buy and sell, that's a reality. 75% of the time I could see that occurring for, you know, somebody trading without a whole ton of capital. I mean, you don't want to have to be a millionaire necessarily to do that. And then the 360 round trip, I mean, unless I'm misinterpreting it, I think 
if, unless there's a, a an amount that each kind of round trip trade has to be right because i mean if you think right. about it you could you could buy a very minor amount of any crypto and then sell that crypto as well i mean we're talking about like a few dollars worth right to you bet you if bet. that qualifies for one of the 360 uh, trades, then it wouldn't be too hard to, to tick that box. But now, um, there, are, there are more rules. I'm not finished. Okay, okay. I jumped <laughs> the gun. I jumped the gun. <laughs> no, but those are all valid points, all very good points. Um, another uh, one of those keys is that you can prove that this will provide your livelihood. Mm -hmm. More or less that this is, you know, that you're involved in this more than four hours a day every day this is this you know this isn't a hobby uh this you know you're not an investor this you know this provides your living um and another one is there can be no sporadic lapses which violates one of my favorite investors which uh, jesse livermore um are you familiar with jesse livermore i'm not He's one of the most famous speculators of, of the 1920s and 30s, and before the 1920s as a young man, but then the 1920s, 30s, through the, the Great Depression. And um, he used to close out every investment he had just before Christmas every year. And one of the things he'd do is he'd take the stacks of money that he had, he'd have them in a bank vault and he would pay the bank for him to be able to stay in the bank vault over, um, I can't remember, I think it was maybe New Year's. So it was a three day weekend. And it, instead of having everything on paper, it, he had the money in front of him, he had his ledgers on his trades and he would contemplate and go through and it would, be, it would make it real for him. But then he would, after he did this thing, that every year was kind of a, a come to Jesus, uh, you know, what I did right, what I did wrong, here's the reality at the end of the day, he would take a couple months vacation down to Florida and would not trade. And then he'd come back into the market again. Okay. Well, you, that is what the IRS considers a sporadic lapse. Mm -hmm. That is, you can't be out of the game for several months or a couple of months a year. And, you know, these are how these rules came about, I'll discuss in a moment, but basically you can't have sporadic lapses. Yeah, you can take a week off, take a two-week trip to the Bahamas, but you cannot have a couple months a year off. Strange, there's nothing rational about the tax law. Significant, <laughs> a significant business investment relative to your other investments. And then again, I think I've already mentioned you have to at least spend four hours a day so those are kind of the rules, and the more of those you hit, the more you build a case that you deserve tax trader status. Now, the IRS doesn't actually list all those rules out. Right. What happens is, is Mr. Green has gone back to the tax cases that have you, the, the IRS used as precedent to build a case for that. And what they did was, several decades ago, is they took cases that, that were very winnable, that set that bar very high, and they used those as precedents. But what they list, for example, you know, if you look at the, the tax documents, is you must segregate investment activity from trading activity, and you must have cont a continuous business activity support. Uh, trade execution, research and education, administration and accounting, and you must have significant investment support. That is your equipment, uh, your education, your high-speed internet, a uh, specific office for this. Those are things that the IRS looks at broadly. Hmm. And then we come down to the, these precedents that I've just listed that uh, Mr. Green has extracted from those uh, court cases. So here are the tax trader status killers. One is automated trading. If you buy a black box and you use it to, you know, robo trade, mm -hmm. they're going to say, it's not you. You're not the trader. Which that makes is going sense. The majority of these boxes would be very easily ticked by using a bot. So I yep. think that it makes sense in the eyes of the IRS to say you can't use bots. That's like, you know, using a code in a video game or something like that. It's, a, you know, it's cheating. I, as, a, as a CPA, I've got to say, I've quit looking for 
rational yeah. rationality yeah. and justice in the tax code years ago. <laughs> right. And I get that I, I'm certainly not making myself popular with many listeners when I say that <laughs> makes sense. But to me, it makes sense that you wouldn't be able to use a bot to qualify for this status. I'm not saying it's fair, but I, I'm saying that it kind of makes sense that uh, you're not allowed to. I hear you. Sal, if you take whatever black box you have or whatever you know software that is somebody else has developed and you significantly modify it yourself for your trading, you can move it out of that trader killer. Okay. Uh, another one is if you engage a money manager to do all those trades, mm -hmm. bam, you are not a tax trader. You have destroyed your tax trader status. And number three, you cannot count any of the trading in your retirement accounts at, towards that, you know, 360, all that, you know, that high hurdle of, of transaction hurdle. Anything in the retirement accounts, that's separate. Which brings me to our topic that we talked about the other day. My personal take, how to take advantage of the tax code. There's, there's you know, either as an investor, a tax trader, or what you can do in your retirement accounts. Now, one of the great things is over the last couple of years is the ability with a retirement account to invest in cryptocurrencies and in tokens, which is awesome. Now, as a certified financial planner, as a PF, you know, CPA PFS, the standard, industry standard for the prudent counsel that I would give clients is basically your retirement money you have you're more conservative with that that's long term you want to play that very conservatively if you speculate you want to do that with funds outside of your retirement plan and once you've got your retirement you know and your future protected then you can you know you do the speculation you know you build up to it i do just personally now this isn't i'm not again this is not professional advice. This is what I do personally is I've realized that transaction hurdle is and especially every time, especially if you're a short term trader and uh, in cryptocurrencies and you are successful. Let's say you generate three hundred thousand dollars a year trading. That puts you in a relatively high tax bracket. And even if some of that is long term. It pushes you way into a high tax bracket. You got the, you know, you're up at 20% plus the the 3.8%, um, and then you add, you know, for me locally, 5% uh, state tax. I'm pushing 30%. That in uh, in and of itself is a massive hurdle. If you're successful, is you put this 30% hurdle each year, just to, you know, to where you've really made and increase the value of your portfolio. So I personally move a portion of my trading into my retirement accounts because there is no taxation on short-term, long-term. I can accumulate that a lot more rapidly inside of a retirement account than I can having to pay taxes on that every year. And I do a lot of my long-term investing outside of my retirement account to take advantage as much as possible of the long-term capital gain, lower tax rates. Mm -hmm. So instead of, you know, if it's short-term trading, you know, you're pushed clear up uh, to your maximum tax rate and to your, your marginal tax rate. So I've done just the opposite. I've moved my, some of my trading into my retirement account and more of an emphasis on the uh, long-term holding outside of my retirement account to take advantage of the uh, tax code. You have to be careful with that, I imagine, because if the IRS ever comes at you and says, hey, how can you distinguish these coins from your the rest of your holdings? I mean, you would have to kind of have some in like a like cold storage or a different wallet um, the ones that were going into your retirement fund versus the ones you're just keeping for long-term, right? Because then the cost bases kind of get confused. Oh, if you can't show, and perhaps, you know, your software um, is a great proof of an audit trail that those are 100% segregated. Right. I personally use 
you know, what's called a, a either a checkbook IRA or a self-directed 401k. My self-directed 401k is basically the structure is you have your taxable business entity that generates self-employment income, which then I can take a portion of that self-employment income and contribute to a 401k. That 401k goes into a trust that has been created, a retirement trust that has been approved by the IRS. Then that retirement trust owns for me and a separate one for each one of my partners, a uh, an LLC that is 100% owned by that trust. And I am the manager and it's complex. This is a whole nother, you know, could be, you know, what a self-directed 401k, the whole concept of doing this would be a whole nother blog and discussion between you and I. But basically what you've said is exactly right. That LLC that is now uh, 401 owned by the retirement trust has an account and has delivered to, for example, Gemini. Um, I use Gemini. One of my partners uses Gemini. Another one uses Coinbase. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically that's a discrete investment by that retirement LLC at Gemini, and I can move that from Gemini to cold storage and back, and I have proof that I have never touched that. Mm-hmm. And and with the pseudo-anonymous, I'm not sure. I have not explored enough. You know, I, I, I wouldn't purchase Monero at this point because it's not pseudo-anonymous, and I, and I would have a tougher time proving perhaps right. that I – you know, prove an audit trail that I've never touched that I haven't uh, engaged in what is called a prohibited transaction. See, all I need is for the IRS to show that I've engaged in one single prohibited transaction in that self-directed 401k and they'll blow everything out. That My tax deductions, you know, for the contribution of the 401k, all my capital gains, uh, in the 401k, they're going to pull all that out with penalties and interest, and it and it, it would be potentially destroying. So right. at this point, having using only those pseudo-anonymous coins, such as Bitcoin, such as Ethereum, such as Litecoin, etc., that I can that I can absolutely show the audit trail, and nothing else goes on that Ledger Nano. Um, except for my retirement, I've got separate Ledger Nanos, separate accounts. Um, for my uh, crypto investing outside of my retirement plan, totally segregated. But as you know, you can prove, you can create an audit trail for all of that and show that it is totally segregated. Right. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I think you importantly mentioned it earlier that this is educational, right? We're just kind of discussing the ability to do something like this. But for the average listener, this is some complex stuff that you need to really have somebody who knows their stuff, like Mike, to you know assist you with. Uh, you know, not specifically Mike, unless he wants to help you, but uh, you know, somebody that knows their stuff to help you with this. Because as you said, all it takes is one transaction, one forbidden transaction, and everything is back to regular taxes and fines and penalties, and it could be potentially destructive to you and to your to your funds and your money and your life. So definitely don't, Absolutely. you know, just go into this, you know, headstrong and without too much information. You want to be, um, you know, you want to be smart about this kind of thing. But it, it, it kind of goes into this, our next and final topic, which is kind of the philosophy of cryptocurrency in general, which me and you, you know, we talked um, the other day and we kind of had a, a brief kind of philosophical, political discussion about how cryptocurrency, how it is a philosophy in itself and how a lot of people in cryptocurrency, uh, you know, prefer to have the government stay out of their business. And, you know, we have experienced a lot of our customers and a lot of our listeners saying, you know, I hate the fact that I have to pay the IRS taxes. I do it because I don't want to get in trouble, but I don't love the fact that I have to pay cryptocurrency taxes. And so some of the stuff we talked about today, including using your retirement fund, would be a kind of a tax minimization technique, right? As opposed to tax evasion, which will get you arrested and in trouble, uh, tax minimalization well, is something you can do. Yeah. And it's the one thing that, you know, I remember the first 
lecture that uh, my partner and I gave at the Overstock.com auditorium in Salt Lake on cryptocurrency and taxation. You know, I basically brought up the obvious. The real alpha predator out there, and I mean that in every respect, is the IRS. Now, if you if you play the game and you think you can somehow avoid detection, you've moved in and not report your cryptocurrency transactions in accordance with the tax law is you've you basically um, you're speculating in um, in uh, <laughs> in loss of futures. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Loss of personal freedom futures. <laughs> you basically moved over. When you try to, you know, there's the concept that we talked about, tax avoidance and tax evasion. Right. When you move over to that tax evasion, you immediately move over to where you have committed a felony. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, you're not just in trouble for taxes, but you're in trouble for criminal. Uh, charges in addition to the taxes, interest, and penalties. And um, it's the one thing you do not, absolutely do not want to do. And when I went through, you know, discussing, you know, the 2014, um, you know, and when you mine, and there were a lot of miners in the audience that it's treated as self-employment income of a business and, and throughout the whole thing is everybody's heads in the audience. It's like there wasn't one smile in the entire audience. It's like nobody wanted to hear that you actually had to report this mm-hmm. um, because they thought that the original dream was of, of having a totally anonymous uh, coin and totally anonymous transactions, which is not true. Absolutely not true. And the great thing is, is if you understand the tax code and you work within the tax code, you can substantially reduce the amount of taxes that you pay. And that's where you want to go. Um, Unless you're really some kind of evil genius, maybe, that is smarter than than everyone out there and can do that, 99.999% of us, it's the world we live in. Right. And and that's what you want to do. For example, the the money that I I will be salting away in my retirement plans, there is no way I want to ever risk the IRS giving them even, you know, any opportunity to challenge uh what I'm doing there because I want them protected going forward. I want the tax advantages. I do not want to lose the tax advantages. And that, you know, to give a plug to you, it's very difficult. When you do a lot of crypto transactions, you know, doing the bookkeeping side of it is a real pain for most mm. people. Yes. Most people aren't, you know, dweebs like me, you know, <laughs> that sit down and, you know, I'm I'm really not one of those. I, I task that off. <laughs> bookkeeping, I am not a bookkeeper. I will task somebody else. I will review what they've done. I will help them. I'm doing my own bookkeeping. I even task that off. <laughs> right. We're we're the dweebs over here that, that do the, the minutia, you know, that help you with your cryptocurrency taxes and that's our and job. That's what we like to do and you know, we're that's gonna. what you do. And that's the service you provide is being able to track and re- and have a comprehensive recording of the different transactions and, and the net of those transactions for reporting purposes, for compliance purposes. We appreciate the plug. And I wanted to bring that up because every time we kind of share our interviews or our content, there's always a few people that are, you know, that will say, paying taxes on cryptocurrency is idiotic. And I bring this up a lot in this podcast because even though they may be, you know, the minority opinion that they're not going to pay taxes, you know, having that opinion might be the minority opinion, but it's still an opinion. And I want to address it um, that of course it's not smart to have that opinion of of avoiding taxes with the IRS, but you can still have that philosophical stance of, you know, I want to keep government out of my life as much as possible while still obeying the law. Sal, if your listeners are successful, and I think a lot of them are going to be over the next couple of years in this this next wave of, of, 
of crypto bull market, they could become fabulously successful. Mm -hmm. Now, if they become a whale, and I think a lot of them will become whales, why would you? And then you're going to have a big target on your back. Yep. If you got 10,000 in cryptos, the IRS isn't going to chase you. You know, they're not going to spend the time reconstructing your IP address and, and being able to have somebody, you know, reconstruct what you might have and what you might have done. You might get in trouble and they, you may end up fall into an audit in that type of situation, but you're not going to be a target. But for those of us, for those of you who become whales in the next two to three years because of your shrewd crypto investing and that you've been in a bull market, all of a sudden, why would you put becoming a whale at risk by having chosen to evade taxes? Agreed. And putting a target. What you're saying is, is you're taking this risk with what could be a substantial fortune. And once you have that substantial fortune two to three years from now, you will become a target. It will be profitable to find out where you, know, where you haven't reported and to basically you become the prey. And I think that's just crazy talk. And you know, you might get away with it for a year or you might get away with it for a year or two, but five years down the line, like you said, when you're a well and you have all that, that money, when you get hit with either the, the huge penalty or if you get hit with that jail time potentially, then it's not gonna be great. After all that work no. you did, it's not gonna be great. So I would agree with you completely. You wanna do this smart. This is an incredible opportunity in this massive change in in the financial markets one of the biggest revolutions in in recent history and to take advantage of that to put that at risk and remember i mentioned you know i'm the kid in his 20s that was driving around with a bumper set sticker that said taxation is theft <laughs> Exactly. So that's exactly why I wanted to have this conversation with you because you can appreciate that viewpoint of taxation is theft. We get it. You can, people can have that viewpoint of taxation is theft. You can have that viewpoint and then still pay your taxes. You can still believe that and also still comply with the law. It, you know, it might sound contradictory to have, you know, to have that opinion and to pay the taxes, but it is possible. Oh, it's absolutely. I, I like I said, I think that, uh, Everyone out there should employ competent counsel and do this right. Because why even be in this game if you don't anticipate becoming a whale? Yeah, you're right. And most people do. Most people do have that hope of becoming a whale. I think that's a lot of people, at least, um, that's their goal with cryptocurrency and crypto trading um, is to you know, they saw other people get crypto rich and they want to themselves become crypto rich. You know, a lot of people in the space also love the technology behind it. And as we talked about the pseudo anonymity and just the blockchain tech itself, but traders want to become rich. They want to become whales. So you're right. Even the hodlers do, especially the hodlers. Yeah, yeah especially the hodlers, <laughs> right. Especially them. Absolutely. So well, this is a, I really appreciate your unique viewpoints, Mike, you, you put some things into a unique perspective, which I think I really appreciate. And I think that our audience will really appreciate as well. So thank you again for coming on the show and sharing your unique perspective. I appreciate that. Well, I've enjoyed it, Sal. I've enjoyed uh, our last couple of conversations. Yeah. And I would love to have you back on some other time. If you'd like to come back, maybe I know you mentioned kind of talking about self-directed 401ks could be a, a separate episode. Maybe we'll find a few other things we can talk about and have you on again. That'd be great. Awesome. And then did you want to share uh, your email or anything to our listeners for them to reach out to you? Yeah. As I explained, you know, people search for me out in social media. We're a boutique outfit. We're not out there with a big web presence or anything, right. but I will provide my email address if people are interested in initiating a, a professional dialogue with me. And that's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at O-U-R C-P-A F-I-R-M dot com. Michael at our C-P-A firm dot com. Great. And we'll have that up also on our website. So if you need to check on our website, we'll have a direct link to that. Click it. You can send Mike an email. And yeah, great. Thanks again, Mike. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Sal. Have a great day. All right. You as well, hey, Mike. Yes. Pick up the snowboarding again. Yes. Maybe 
after I get crypto rich again, I'll, I'll be able to <laughs> start, start affording going to those nice, uh, those nice ski lodges again, you know, back in college, yeah. it was a little bit easier. Nowadays it's like you got the house and you got all this to pay for. Come on out to the Rocky mountains where the powder's deep. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. All right, Mike, thanks again. And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for more great cryptocurrency and blockchain related discussions.